Thank you so much. Turn with me to, again to 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. Um, we're going to finish up chapter 4 uh, today, and uh, my plan is to finish our study in 1 Peter before uh, the holidays, so we're just about through with our study in 1 Peter. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 19. This is the same text that I read last Sunday, and uh, it was just more there than I could deal with in one sermon, and so... This is part two of looking at this particular passage dealing with the suffering Christian. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. This is God's word. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. As though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. That is God's word. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask your blessing upon our time in your word. And we know this is a, of, of all we do in worship, this is the most important. Right now we sit at your feet. And so we pray that you would, through the Holy Spirit, Reveal your word to us, that you would make it clear, and that you would help us to understand it, not just with our minds, but with our hearts. That the Holy Spirit would take it and apply it and use it to change us, to make us more like Jesus. Our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone reminded me after worship last Sunday that the suffering that you and I might experience for our faith is really nothing compared to the real suffering that many believers around the world experience today. And that's, and that's so true. You know, we talk about suffering for our faith and we usually mean that someone's cut us off from a friendship or that we were excluded and not invited to a social event or that we were ridiculed or embarrassed in public because of our faith, or someone tried to make us look ignorant or accused us of being old-fashioned because we believe the Bible is true. And we forget that there are many believers in many parts of the world today who are suffering far more than rejection and embarrassment. They are being tortured and threatened with death for their faith. I was reading just this morning 
you know, magazine put out by Voices of the Martyrs. You know, we hear about groups like Boko Haram and some place way off and other people, politicians and military people are dealing with that. But it recounted a story of uh, Boko Haram going into a, a home of a, a man and his wife. And they asked the man, are you a Muslim or are you a Christian? And the man said, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian till death. And they took out a gun. And they said, if you will pledge your allegiance to the Muslim faith, to Allah, you will spare your life. And he said, I'm a Christian to death. And he turned to his wife and they said, warn your husband. Because if he does not recant his faith, if he does not renounce his Christianity, we'll kill him. And he said, I'm a Christian to death. And they kept their word. Right there in his living room, in front of his wife, he put a bullet in his head. They are threatened with death if they don't recount their faith in Jesus. Separated from their families. Told their children will suffer if they don't renounce their faith in Jesus. You know, those uh, to whom Peter was writing his letter uh, were facing serious persecution. Emperor Nero was about to begin uh, the persecution of Christians. And Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knew that was about to happen. And warning believers of what the suffering for Christ would entail for them and their attitude, what it should be in the face of it. I do wonder sometimes, just to be honest with you, how my faith would hold up in a situation like that. I wonder if I lived in a place like Iraq or North Africa, North Korea, instead of Mississippi, how my faith would be. I wonder if I would be strong if a knife was put to my neck or a torch to my feet or a gun to my head. I would like to think that I would uh, be true to the end. That I would, like that man, say I'm a Christian to death. But like I said last week, you know, I've, I've had the privilege of living my faith in, a pretty, in pretty cushy situations where I'm around people who are comfortable with my faith, where I'm not uh, persecuted because I stand publicly and proclaim the truth of the gospel. Oh, I've, I've had little things along the way. I've had some unkind, unsigned letters I've received. I have had someone threaten to kill me, but I knew it was an idle threat, not serious. I have had unflattering things said about me behind my back and to my face. But you know, that's nothing. That's nothing, is it? Compared to being really threatened with serious harm or death to you or to your family because of your commitment to Christ. And again, that's what these people to whom Peter was writing this letter were facing. He mentions in the text, sharing in the sufferings of Christ. 
And you know where the sufferings of Christ led him? They led him to the cross. And so this, this passage right here at the end of 1 Peter 4 is designed to bring comfort and encouragement to believers who are facing persecution for their faith, who are suffering because of their commitment to Jesus. And it covers the gamut all the way from someone embarrassing you in public because of your faith in Jesus to someone who actually gives their life for Christ. Now again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in this passage, Peter gives us four things that we are to do in the face of suffering for our faith. We looked at the first two last week. We're going to look at the other two this morning. The first two were these. First is you are to expect it. And the other is you are to rejoice in it. We're to expect to suffer for our faith. We should not be surprised or or act like some strange thing is happening to us, Peter says, when it happens. Suffering for Christ is not the strange thing. It really is to be the expected thing. And when he comes, the text says, we are to consider ourselves to be blessed. When you suffer for the sake of Christ, you are blessed, the Bible says. And because of that, we are to rejoice in times of suffering. Rejoice in the opportunity of suffering for Christ. Look again at verses 12 through 14 that we looked at last week. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Well, that brings us to the next two things that we're to do when we suffer for our faith. We find those in verses 15 through 19. And the first one is that when you suffer, you should examine your life. When you suffer hardship, You should examine your life. You see, not all suffering is brought about because of your faith in Christ. We saw again last week that suffering for Christ, that is suffering for Christ, suffering in the name of Christ, that is the condition for blessing. In verse 24 again we saw, or excuse me, 14 we saw, if you are reviled, For the name of Christ, you are blessed. I said then that, you know, if I do something dumb or something stupid or something sinful, and then I suffer for it, there's no blessing in that. And that's what Peter expounds on, really, in verses 15 through 18. Uh, When you suffer or you go through some kind of persecution, then you should examine your life to make sure that it is coming upon you for the sake of righteousness. Uh, Here he says, verse 15, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. There's no spiritual blessing in that. Trouble brought brought on by sinful or careless behavior is not suffering 
in the name of Christ. And so when you suffer or you're persecuted, someone treats you poorly, the first thing to do is ask why. Why is this happening to me? Why am I experiencing this? Why am I going through this? Is it because of my commitment to Christ or something else? Is it because of my love for Jesus or because of something I have done that was not right? Now, Peter gives us an interesting collection of bad behaviors here in verse 15, doesn't he? Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. You know, troublesome meddling just doesn't seem to fit in with murder, thievery, or evildoing, does it? You'd probably consider that to be a lesser sin. But I'm not sure, so sure God does. I think there's a reason where God puts troublesome meddling in with murder, thievery, and evil doing. We underestimate how much God treasures the unity of the church. You know, Jesus is in, in his high priestly prayer prayed that we would all be one and that we would be perfected in unity. When we looked in Proverbs 6, just recently on Wednesday nights, the seven things that God hates. What was the seventh? One who spreads strife among brothers. Go with me to First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, if you have your Bible. First Thessalonians four. I'm going to show you two interesting verses: one from First Thessalonians and one from Second. First Thessalonians four, verse eleven, where God says this: "Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands." Just as we commanded you. And then if you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And verse 11. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. Doing no work at all. But acting like busybodies. Here Peter says make sure that none of you suffer. Because you're a troublesome meddler. That word literally means to meddle in something that does not belong to you. To be an agitator. A troublemaker. Refers to someone who kind of stirs things up. Meddles. Where he doesn't belong. You see, those are things Christians are not to do and not to be. We should never inappropriately insert ourselves in the private lives of others should not cause or stir up trouble in the body of Christ not intrude ourselves in things that are none of our business nor should we try to run someone else's life now we might consider that to be a small deal I think God considers it a big deal if anyone suffers you suffer Make sure you don't suffer as a thief, a murderer, an evildoer, 
or a troublesome meddler. Instead, we should make sure that when we suffer, we suffer as a Christian or because we are Christians. And so we're to examine our lives when suffering or persecution comes. Notice that the text does tell us in verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, if your suffering is really because of your commitment to Christ, then you're not to be ashamed. Verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. You know what Jesus said? He said, whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. Let me say that again. Just let it sink in just a little bit. Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory you know Paul said of himself his own testimony was I am not ashamed I am not ashamed of the gospel you see suffering for Jesus is nothing to be ashamed of it's nothing to be embarrassed about but rather it's something to to, to glory in because when you suffer for Christ You bring glory to God. When you take a stand for Christ or you take a stand for the truth and someone mocks you for it, God is glorified because of that. When you hold fast to your faith, even though you are ridiculed because of it, God is honored in that. When you do what is right in God's eyes, even though others are encouraging you to do what is wrong and then they laugh at you for choosing the right God is praised in that when you let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and they they glorify God he is praised in that now Peter takes a bit of a turn in verses 17 and 18 when he starts talking about judgment coming on the people of God, and it's one of those places where you kind of scratch your head at first glance and say, how do these verses fit in with what he's teaching us here? And the truth is that times of persecution for the church are oftentimes of purification for the church. Persecution is often a time when the wheat is separated from the chaff. When the true believers are identified from those who are just kind of hanging on. And those who really love Christ are set apart from those who do not. Some pass the test and others don't. That's what I was saying earlier. It's a good question to ask all of ourselves. I would certainly hope that the test came that I would pass it. Verse 17 says this, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Now the judgment here 
is not condemnation. You've got to always look at a, a verse in, in the context of all of Scripture. This judgment is not condemnation on the people of God. Paul says in Romans 8, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Instead, it refers to a time of testing or a time of purifying. That's what Peter said back in uh, verse 12, wasn't it? Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. And this judgment here uh, in verse 17 that comes upon the people of God must be seen in that light as a testing of our faith. I said a moment ago uh, that uh, this letter was written to Christians right before Nero began um, the persecution of Christians in A.D. 64. Nero did some atrocious things. If I describe them, some of them might upset your children. Certainly not something to discuss right before lunch. Nero was a wicked man. He hated Christ. He did all in his power to stamp out the name of Christ and anyone who bore the name of Christ. And only the most committed of Christians could endure it. The others would recant or renounce their faith. It was a form of judgment or testing or purification on the household of God. And then it's interesting that Peter uses that as an opportunity reflect on just how much greater judgment will be on those who do not know Christ. And his point is this. If God would allow such judgment to come upon his people to test the reality of their faith, how much more severe do you think God's judgment will be upon those who are outside the faith? His judgment will be severe. Listen to what he says. It is time for the judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, this is going to happen to us. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty, persecution, suffering, that the righteous are saved, what will become of of the godless man and the sinner? You know, all this is a reflection of what we don't hear so much about in the church today, and that's the holiness of God. We forget just how holy God is. You know, there's one song that the angels, the seraphim, sing around the throne of God. Isaiah saw it. Isaiah heard it. They sing this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of His glory. God is holy. And God's desire is for His people to be holy. Do you understand that? And God will do anything He can or has to do to make you holy like He wants you to be, even bringing things into your life to purify you, to refine you, to test you. To remove the dross. 
Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes for your testing. And judgment must come upon the household of God. It comes to test our faith and to purify us and to make us more holy as He is holy. So when testing comes, examine your life to make sure it is for the righteousness of Christ. And then second, when you suffer your your faith, we find in verse 19, he says you are to entrust yourself to God. Verse 19 is kind of a summary verse, I think, of really the whole discussion. It begins with the word, therefore, could have, he could have used the word as a result of or because of this. The question is, what are we to do when persecution comes? And the answer is, We're to trust God. Listen to verse 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. That word entrust there in the Greek was really, it was a banking term. It was the word that that bankers used when someone made a deposit. And when you give something valuable or you entrust something valuable to someone else for them to keep it then you are trusting that they're going to take care of it that word is actually the same word Jesus used from the cross when he said father into thy hands I commit or I entrust my spirit when you're going to entrust something valuable to someone else you're concerned about two things one is their character and the other is their ability you want to know something about who they are and what they are like as a person and you also want to know something about what they can do to take care of and protect and to keep what you have entrusted to them here Peter's talking about us entrusting to God The one thing that is most precious to us, the one thing that will last through time into eternity, and that is our souls. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to the faithful Creator. Remember, we we read earlier in the unison of Scripture do not fear those who can kill the body. but the one also who can kill the soul. Here Peter says, look, entrust your soul. If If they're persecuting the body, entrust your soul to God. You see, God is completely trustworthy, isn't he? Remember what I said just a moment ago? We we trust people on the basis of two things, their character and their ability. God's character, of course, is impeccable. He has no sin, no flaw, no defect. He is the holy God. He always does what is right. That's what the text says. We trust Him in doing what is right. And His ability is unlimited. He's able to do above and beyond what we ever dared hope for or expect. And and there's a reason, I think, why, why under the the Holy Spirit's inspiration 
Peter says that we're to entrust our souls to the faithful creator. What shows us God's power and God's ability more than his creation? You know, if God could create all there is in this universe by the word of his power in the space of six days, don't you think he can take care of you? That's what Peter's saying. Trust your soul to the faithful creator. You know, Paul had that kind of confidence and trust in God. Look at one more passage with me. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is a familiar verse. But I want you to look at it with me for just a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And verse 12. Where Paul says this. For this reason I also suffer these things. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to, to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Isn't that an interesting verse in light of what we just saw in 1 Peter? Paul says, I suffer these things. And I suffer them for Christ. But I'm not ashamed. It's just what Peter had said, wasn't it? If anyone suffers for the name of Christ, let him not be ashamed. And, and Paul says, I suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. And he says, I have entrusted myself to him. And he says, I've entrusted myself to him because I know that he's able to keep what I've committed to him. And you back up and he says, and I know whom I have believed. What did I say a moment ago? We trust people because of their character and their ability. Paul says, look, I'm convinced on both counts. I know whom I have believed. I know him. And I am convinced in his ability. He's able to keep what I've entrusted to him. Does that tell us? The more you know God, the more you understand who he is and what he's able to do, the more you'll be able to entrust yourself to him no matter what comes. Even if it's just being embarrassed because you testified of your faith in Jesus and someone mocked you for it. Or you were cut off from a friendship because someone doesn't share your faith in Jesus. Or because you lost your job. Because of your moral values based on your commitment to Christ. Or something more serious. Or someone held a gun to your head and said, recount, recant, or die. Trust God. And trust yourself to him. And the more you know him, the easier that will be. So what do we find here in this text? Four things. When you suffer, expect it. Don't act like it's some strange thing. Rejoice in it. Remember those who are reviled for the sake of Christ are blessed. And the sufferings of this life are nothing, folks, compared to the glory. When it happens, examine your life. 
Make sure that you aren't suffering because of something foolish or sinful that you did. That it really is because of the sake of righteousness. And trust God. And trust your soul to the faithful creator who always does what's right. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. It's an encouragement to us. Some of these texts seem a bit distant to us because we don't deal with the reality of it on a daily basis. But Father, we pray that you would prepare our hearts for whatever might come. We pray that we would be faithful to the end. That we would cling to Christ and to his cross. And no matter what might threaten us, that we would be firm to the end and we would entrust our souls to you knowing that you'll always keep them we ask it in Jesus name Amen